Hey everybody, welcome to day two of our Western States live interview show. You're listening to the Pillars podcast. I am your host, Dylan Bowman, and today we're sharing another series of shorter but amazing interviews with some of the top athletes in this year's Western States 100, along with a couple of interviews with some key people from the race organization. The guests today in chronological order are Hayden Hawks, Brittany Peterson, Magda Boulay, Diana Fitzpatrick, the president of the Western States 100 board, then Jim Walmsley, and we finish off with the race director, Mr. Craig Thornley. Of course, all these interviews are done with my co-host for the week, Corinne Malcolm. It was a ton of fun. We will be back tomorrow with our third and final live interview show on YouTube from 9 to 11 a.m. Pacific time, and the audio will then be posted in this podcast feed shortly thereafter as well. Reminder to also subscribe to the Western States 100 YouTube channel so you can follow the action all day on Saturday, which is, of course, race day. The link to subscribe to that YouTube channel is in the show notes. Okay, here is day two of Western States Live from Thursday, June 24th, starting with Hayden Hawks. Okay, good morning, everybody. We are live from the 2021 Western States 100 here in Olympic Village. It is so exciting to be back after a year off due to the coronavirus pandemic. We are back. It is 2021. We are joined by my co-host for the week, Corinne Malcolm. Corinne, say hello to the people. Hey, everyone. Good to be back. Good to be back. We are joined also by our first guest today, Mr. Hayden Hawks from Cedar City, Utah. We will get to you in just a second. Just wanna mention a couple of people off the top who are supporting our live stream efforts all week. First of all, Hoka, one of Hayden's sponsors, has really pulled out all the stops to enhance the coverage, to enhance the experience of you guys, the fans of ultra running worldwide. So thank you so much to Hoka. Thank you also to Buff, an amazing supporter of our sport over the course of the last decade plus. They really are making all of this coverage possible. So thanks to the sponsors. Thanks to the coffee bar for being here and providing food and refreshments and coffees uh, to our live audience here from Olympic Village. So let's get started. Mr. Hayden Hawks from Cedar City, Utah. You have uh, made an enormous impact on the sport over the course of the last five or six years. I remember when you won the Speedgoat 50K and everybody was like, who is this guy? Now you are unquestionably one of the best in the world. This is your first time at Western States, your second attempt at the 100 mile distance. How are you feeling going into the race? Yeah, really good. I feel in, uh, I like to say humble confidence is what I'd say. You know, like I, I, I was really humbled um, by my experience at UTMB a couple of years ago, but I'm feeling a lot of confidence going into Western States just because of the preparation that I've put in, the training that I've put in and yeah, I don't think the block could have gone any better, to be honest with you. Um, super fit and uh, really prepared for this race, I feel like. So I know most of us struggled through the pandemic year away from racing, which I think was both good and bad. A lot of us got a, a lot of really good training in, but I know that you were able to race in the fall 
at JFK and take a, a big win there. Can you talk about how that might be translating to having some confidence going into the block that you've put together this spring in prep for Western States? Yeah, uh, I, I feel like 2020 actually went really well for me. Um, I, you know, after that experience in 2019 at UTMB, I kind of, you know, got together with my, you know, with, with some of my mentors and we kind of talked about how I wanted to go forward from there, you know, with my training and, and with my progression in the sport. And uh, we started looking at, you know, I need to go back to my, my roots and my roots is, is speed. You know, I come from a track and field background. Um, it was a definitely an advantage coming into the sport to have that, that speed and, and that strength. And, uh, and so I kind of went back to some of that type of training where I, I started focusing a little bit more on workouts, speed, um, but also keeping that vert and that volume in there as well. Cause volume, I, I re respond really well to volume. And so, uh, 2020 went real well, you know, I had the win at black Canyon, yeah. um, did really well at squaw peak 50 mile in Utah, had a good performance at speed goat 50 K and then capped the year off with JFK. I didn't race a lot, but I had enough racing in there and really, really good blocks that built on each other. And pretty much after JFK, I've just built block after block after block um, coming into Western States. And I've, I've built off of that great block I had going into JFK. So sticking with JFK for a second, I think, you know, for those of us who follow the sport really closely, it was obvious how huge of a performance that was in one of the oldest ultramarathons in the United States. You broke Jim Walmsley's record there by three minutes. And since he has sort of emerged as one of the, the world's best athletes, I think that was the first time anybody has actually beaten one of his records while he's been rewriting record books all over the world in his career. So maybe talk about that with Jim being the two-time champion here at this race. How did that course record victory at JFK make you think about your capabilities on this course? Well, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've always had a lot of confidence in myself. You know, I believe that I can be the best in the world. I really do. Um, I believe I have the capability and, and I believe that I, you know, that I can do it. I, I do. And sometimes that, that confidence gets me in trouble because I, I go out a little too hard in races or I, maybe I train a little too hard sometimes, but I've kind of learned and, and matured over the years to be able to control that and use that as an advantage. And so I really feel like JFK gave me, a, it gave me a ton of confidence, especially because I wasn't chasing the course record at all. I, I had no clue what the, what the times were in that race. Um, I found out, you know, the last five miles that I was possibly going to break the course record. Right. You know, the race director was there and he's like, Hey, you're going to go into the course record. And I'm like, no, that's not possible. And he said, yeah, you know, like, I, I think you are. And I was like, okay, well, cool. And you know, uh, and when I race, when, when I just turn my watch off, when I don't look at time, when I focus on just my own race and, and racing my own race, that's when I always do the best. And, and that's what I've done, you know, at, at races since um, JFK and, and before JFK is I just turn my watch off and I just go and I, and I race how I know I need to race and how I've trained and it, it always works out really well. So yeah, I, I feel a lot of confidence going into Western States because of JFK and, and I feel like it's definitely gonna help me. I think that's really interesting about kind of turning the watch off and taking care of yourself and doing your own thing. And I, we've heard that from some of your competitors going into this race. We talked to Jared Hazen yesterday, kind of, you know, knowing that he needs to take care of himself to get through the race. You've obviously, you've tried to step up to this 100 mile distance before and, you know, said you were humbled by the distance. 
going into this race, particularly since we know that it's not going to be about time this year if we're going to have triple-digit record temps on the course, how are you looking at this race weekend, knowing what you know about the 100-mile distance, knowing what you know about yourself, knowing about turning the watch up and taking care of yourself, what, like, how is that going to translate for you on race day? It's never about time. That's what I've, I've realized with ultra running. It's, it's never about time. You know, the times come as you just focus on keep, keeping care of yourself and running your own race. Um, you know, most of the course records that I've broke over the years have come when I, when I turned my watch off and didn't care about the time. When I've actually chased times, I haven't broke course records, to be honest with you. Um, I, I just, I get anxiety. I stress myself out and then I end up falling apart in the race. And so I, I'm going to do that at Western States this year. I'm not going to care about the time. I don't care if I run 18 hours or 20 hours. You know, I'm, I'm focusing on getting the win. I'm focusing on, well, first I'm focused on finishing, you know, finishing's the, the number one thing and then getting that hundred mile underneath my belt. Um, but I think the other thing is, is I do believe that I can win. Um, and I, and I believe I can do that if I just focus on myself and, and don't care about the time and, and do, you know, what I know I can do. I love that. You know, it, it really is never about the time. It's all about how you compete and then ultimately where, where you place. Um, and this year is going to be a difficult year. It looks like temperature wise, and I love your approach and, you know, the confidence that you have in yourself. And I think that's something that's also really interesting for those of us who are, are fans of yours and fans of other people in the race. We talked to Jared yesterday and he very much said that this year is all about going for the win for him. And I'm just curious about like how it is that you cultivate that confidence in yourself. Is it something that comes naturally to you? Is it something that comes in training? Um, how do you go about uh, getting to the place where you can believe that you will and can finish first? Yeah, you know, I, I've always had a lot of confidence in myself, like I've said, but I, I do have doubts sometimes, you know, especially when, you know, I, I always say this, like two weeks before the race, I don't get anxiety on race day. I don't get anxiety like actually before the race. I get anxiety like two weeks out. I start questioning myself two weeks out. Have I done enough? You know, what, what, what can I do? And, and then I, what, what I'll actually do is I'll actually look back on my training. So, you know, one of the reasons I record everything on Strava is so I can go back and look at my blocks and see exactly what I've put in and all the hard work I've put in. I, I sit there and I visualize some of the workouts I've put in and, and just the pain that I've put myself through to get to this point. And uh, honestly, the, the training gives me a ton of confidence. You know, I've, I've had a really good training block. I've fully uh, committed myself to this block and, you know, I'm all in. You know, just like you're out in Mammoth training for you, for Hard Rock All In, I went to Flagstaff for a month to train in the Grand Canyon to get out there with Jared Hazen and Jim Walmsley and to go all in. And every little aspect of my training for this block and, and for blocks to come pretty much the past year has been all in. So describe a little bit about that because I think people here would love to hear you talk about going to Flagstaff and training specifically for the race with guys who have performed well here on the course. You mentioned Jim and Jared, the two fastest men to ever cover the 100 mile uh, distance between here and Auburn. What was that month like training with those guys in Flagstaff? And it, any uh, specific examples of runs you guys did um, would be really fun to hear about. Yeah, you know, the, the main reason we went to Flagstaff, we wanted to mix it up a little bit. You know, where I live in Cedar City, Utah is perfect for training for Western States. It really is it's absolutely perfect. It's exactly like it is here. Um, maybe a little hotter actually, <laughs> but uh, I went to Flagstaff to, to get into the Grand Canyon 
because I really do believe the Grand Canyon is one of the, the perfect places to train for Western states. You can get the heat, the change in temperature, the vert, everything. Um, and I went out there and I got into the canyon almost, I think, 10 times, at least in a month and really did some awesome runs. I did a rim to rim to rim out there. I did a lot of um, runs out to Cottonwood and back, um, 30 milers in the canyon, um, and was just really getting strong and tough. And uh, I did a lot of uh, runs with Jared Hazen, mm -hmm. specifically, um, and Jim Walmsley, you know, a few with him as well. And I, I feel like you can learn from everybody. You know, like I really look up to you, Dylan. Like I really do. And and I and I I'll send you questions sometimes. You know, on Instagram and stuff. I, I like to be a student of the sport and learn from those that have ran the races and learn from those that that know a lot about the sport. And uh, and that, so that's what I did. Is I went out there and I. I ask questions to Jared Hazen and I ask questions to Jim Walmsley. Um, they're friends, they're competitors. I want to beat them on race day for sure. But I also think I can learn a lot from them. And uh, I think everybody can be a mentor. And, and if you're a student of the sport and you're always trying to get, learn new things and get better, you know, that's how you're going to progress in this sport. So speaking of, you know, being good friends with Jared Hazen, Jim Walmsley, I know we spoke with Matt Daniels yesterday. I know that you guys are close as well. How will, obviously you all want to win, which I think is, you know, the definition of being competitors, but you all are also very good friends and you use each other as mentors. So what will it be like for you on race day, knowing that you're on the starting line with these, with these guys who you, you know, you trust, you want to go get a beer with afterwards. Like what, like, does that bring you confidence? Does that bring you comfort? How will you like utilize that energy on race day, knowing that they're with you? Yeah. You know, I think, I'm definitely going to compete against them. You know, Matt Daniels, me and him talk almost every day. Um, we text back and forth about things, bouncing ideas off of each other all the time. But I want to beat Matt, <laughs> just like he wants to beat me, you know. And uh, that's the cool thing about this sport is we're friends outside of the, the race. But when it comes to race day, you know, we're fighting each other and we're making each other better along the way. That's the thing is when you fight somebody and you're, you're going after somebody, um, and that's why we're such good friends is because we've made each other better over the years by f fighting against each other in certain races. And, uh, you know, I, I think for my, my game plan, I guess, is the race doesn't start till Forest Hill, right? Um, maybe even a little past that. I, I, the first 80 miles, I want to be under control. Uh, I want to keep it fairly easy and so that might be striking up some conversations with Matt Daniels or Jared Hazen or whoever else if I'm running with them having a good time and then at 20 miles to go 20 30 miles to go game on you know we're, we're going after it and we're gonna fight as hard as we can to the finish line it's beautifully said and I think something that those of us who've been in the sport a long time cherish about it is just the fact that we can be really good friends with our competitors and we can hope for the best for them and still compete so much. And I think that's part of what Corinne and I are so excited about doing this week and this weekend is sharing that with people who aren't as familiar with the sport, telling the story about that camaraderie that is shared both in the professional field and also, you know, at the back of the pack as well. So Hayden, you alluded, alluded uh, at the beginning of our conversation to when you dropped out at the UTMB a couple of years ago. That was your first attempt at 100 miles. You've had some troubles at Trans Grand Canaria, 
TDS, but you have one Lavaredo, you've won CCC, but if, there, if you can point to any vulnerability in your game, it has been the long distance races. You haven't made it to the finish line of a 100 mile race yet. Have you worked towards building more confidence in your ability at the long distance races? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I've only tried one. <laughs> so, uh, you know, sometimes it takes more than, than one try, you know, to, to get good at some of these things. Um, my first 50K went well, but, you know, 100 miles, total different beast. And so that's for sure. Um, I would say, you know, I like I actually love bad races. I posted about this the other day. I'm very grateful for bad races. I'm very grateful for bad decisions that I've made in my career because I've learned so much from those bad decisions and those, and those bad races. I would never be prepared for Western States if it wasn't for my dropout at UTMB two years ago because I had no respect for the 100 mile distance. I thought, to be honest with you, and this is gonna sound maybe uh, kind of lame on my, my end, but I thought UTMB was gonna be easy. I was like, oh yeah. Cause you're running slow or? Yeah, kind of, I'm running slow. Um, I've won CCC, right? And so I'm like, oh, I won CCC. And, and honestly, that CCC performance was the easiest race I've ever done in my life. Everything clicked. I had no down points. I felt amazing the whole time. Right. And I was like, oh, UTMB is gonna go the same way. Like, it'll be easy. You're like, Jim Walmsley's not here. Francois Dehane's not here. Killian's not here. I don't got to worry about those guys. I, I'm going to win this easily. So again, it goes back to respecting the distance. Had no respect, had no respect for my competitors. Um, and I was just kind of like, you know, like I've learned from that. And I, I've really realized that I can never go into a race like that. I need to go in a race in, in, into a race, preparing for the worst, hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. I know it's going to hurt at Western States. I know I, I'm ready. I, I'm so hungry, actually, to feel pain, yes. to feel pain. I, I want to feel pain. I want to embrace that pain. You know, it's, it's been too long. And uh, I really am excited for that at Western States is, is I'm ready to hurt. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I didn't have that going into UTMB. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot. Like I said, I've, I've fully committed myself to doing all the little things you know, a lot of the reasons I had issues on the longer races was I had hydration issues. I, I went into a state of hypernitremia mm. because I was, I was putting way too much salt into my system and not enough water. And since then, this whole year, I've done four sweat tests to dial in exactly how much sodium to water I need going into a race like Western States. I've done the strength training. I've done the cross training. I've done every little thing that I need to do going into this race. It's beautiful, Hayden, and uh, it's what behaving like a professional uh, means. And I think uh, everybody who knows you knows that you carry yourself as a professional and that you are approaching this race with a little bit more respect. I think we're really all excited to see that formula come to life on Saturday. We wish you nothing but the best. Big round of applause for Mr. Hayden Hawks. Thank you. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with last year's second place women's finisher, Brittany Peterson. So if I'm not mistaken, your 2019 Western States was your debut 100, 
and then you went to, or no, you did Leadville, that's right? right. Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah, I forgot about that. But <laughs> so I guess what I was getting at though is the Superior hiking trail being a 300 mile adventure, do you think that sort of seasoned you a little bit better to handle the stresses of the 100 mile distance? Because as you ascended within the sport, you were much more focused on sky running races, which are shorter, steeper, more technical. And Western States obviously is a longer, flatter, more runnable race, comparatively at least. How do you think the Superior Hiking Trail helped you to sort of maybe get a little bit stronger for the 100 mile distance? You know, I think um, just mentally, really, like 300 miles, it's doing the 100 three times. Um, so I'm trying to channel some of that, but it is such a different thing because it's so slow. The intensity is obviously low, so you can eat a lot more, but it's a good lesson on just really dialing in nutrition, hydration, obviously just being in the pain cave for so long. Um, it feels so long ago, but I think, I mean, I'm going to try to channel that of like, it's only 100 miles instead of 300 miles, uh, but the intensity will be a lot different. And then this spring, we got to watch you throw down at Black Canyons and win by almost 30 minutes. And I feel like it was well within yourself that you went in, you know, you already were in the race this year, which I think is nice to go into a competitive race with that already in the bank. But can you talk us through, you know, going to that race, using it as part of your prep for Western States this year, maybe if, if you took confidence from it, kind of how that played into the Western States build-up plan? I think, I mean, I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, they needed a race to kind of dust off the cobwebs. Um, and for me, like, my last formal race was CCC, which, high, like, nutrition didn't go super well. So I was like, I need to retackle the 100K, obviously get back into competitive racing, um, be around that atmosphere, um, dial in nutrition, hydration. I was super nervous because I guess it was the, you know, there was no pressure, but there was a lot of pressure um, from myself um, on, I knew what I was capable of. And it was just more of that like fear of executing. Um, but I think, I mean, I, like Hayden just said, uh, CCC for him was the race that just everything clicked and went super well. And that was Black Canyon for me, which was you know, a, a super nice confidence boost going into Western States. So the trick is then not feeling like you've got everything figured out and that you <laughs> approach Western States with a humble attitude and a beginner's mindset. But I want to ask you something, something that we talked about with Hayden as well, and that is just the camaraderie in the women's field, in the professional field, and really in ultra running in general. Uh, Billy Yang cut together a really cool mm -hmm. sort of interview, both with Claire and yourself, where you both added your perspective about the 2019 race and how you both really feel about each other as competitors. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really beautiful. So maybe if there's a, a way that you could kind of describe the camaraderie within the women's race, how you guys feel about each other, how you guys support each other, and then ultimately how you compete. Yeah, I mean, I think like Western States training camp, there's a good group of us women, and it was just so fun to like share stories about like Casey. I mean, she has so much history at this race, and she's like, I've had every experience at Western States, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. You know, I feel like that's just valuable information that I can glean as far as if I'm feeling, you know, some heavy weight on my shoulders from last year, you know, just to let go and really just enjoy and embrace the process. And I feel like the community, like there's just so much love and camaraderie and support, whether you're on top of the world or whether you're feeling like you're crashing at the bottom. And I feel like, I mean, every year this race is so competitive, but there's just this like 
every, lifting everyone up type spirit. And that's, that's really what it's about. But then you get on race day and I mean, I think there's, there's a good part of this race where it is just kind of more jovial or like build each other up. And then you get to the dirty part at the end and it's, you know, <laughs> blood, sweat and tears and a few grunts here and there. And, and I mean, and like with Claire, it just, I mean, she burned me so good after yeah. pointed rocks. And I still just look at that like it was such an honor to witness that much grit and like maybe someday I will be able to dig to that level. And it was just really inspiring. So even though it, it stung just a teeny bit seeing her hold the cougar yet last or last time, you know, but that was like the only moment of like, you know, like darn it. But, but really it was like, wow, what a celebration. I'm super excited for both of us. So speaking of training camp weekend, you got a very good taste of what this course runs like in the heat. Yes. You all had a very hot Memorial Day training camp weekend. So in 2019, we were treated to a nice, cool year by yes. all accounts. How are you looking at now, particularly with that experience on the course in the heat in back in May, what are you gleaning from that, taking forward from your past experience in the race and then looking at the weather forecast this weekend? How are you approaching the heat, trying to tackle the heat, running with it this weekend? Yeah, I think, I mean, just approaching it with a totally different approach than 2019, um, knowing that it's going to be hotter. I mean, I was ready for it to be hot two years ago, but then I, I kind of joked afterwards, like, I didn't get the true Western States experience so I, I jinxed us, I guess. <laughs> but I think, I mean, the main thing is really just um, just being smart, being moment to moment, um, not getting too far ahead of yourself, like really paying attention to how you're feeling in that moment, whether it's cool and you're running a little harder maybe, but still knowing what's to come and making sure that you're just within yourself. Um, I think training camp was really awesome that it was hot um, and we've had some good experiences of just what that's going to do to yeah. each runner out there. And I feel like it's exciting for this year in the sense that, uh, I mean, just it's a lot bigger of a gamble this year. A lot more can go wrong. And it's, I think that's the fun part about it is the problem solving along the way and just really being within yourself and figuring things out. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of training weekend and your training in general, we're having your coach, uh, Paul Lind, on the show tomorrow. And we'll obviously talk to him about this as well. But I wonder just maybe how things are similar and how they're different in terms of your preparation for this year's race compared to 2019. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you can look back and there can be good things from that. And then there can be like head case things from that where two years ago I was actually kind of injured through March and April. Um, so I was on a bike until, and Alter G until like early May, um, where I think that actually builds a ton of confidence for any race now in the future, because it's like I had a six to eight week buildup and that was all I needed. And, and it probably prevented overtraining or other things. Um, so this year I feel like training has been similar in a sense of you know, speed early on, hill focus early on, and then really just transitioning into volume. Um, so I feel like, you know, I don't have the speed I did for Black Canyon, but at the same time, that's, you know, that can hurt you in some regards. So um, I have more of the endurance and we did a peak run similar to what I did two years ago and that went really well and in fact better than two years ago. So I feel like it's fun to compare, but it's also, you know, you can't compare apples to apples and yeah, so I, I feel good about 
the things that are a little different and the things that have gone similarly. So I know we've talked to a lot of people about patience and running their own race, obviously, and I know that you're going to be gritty at the end, as gritty as you can be. But what are you taking from your past experience on the course and knowing you know, you've got the high country, the canyons, and then kind of that, that push to the finish? How are you approaching each of those sections individually? And I know you did your peak. When she talks about peak run, just so everyone knows here, it was a 55-mile run. 52. 52 yeah. mile run on the course not that long ago. So she really knows what's coming this weekend. So how are you going to approach the, the high country, the canyons? Is there a mindset or a mantra that you've got going into those sections? You know, I'm, I'm preparing. Like two years ago, it was easy to be within my own race because I was running in third or fourth pretty much all day long. Um, I'm anticipating potentially some women going a little faster this year, especially without snow um, in the high country. So I'm curious, because I've only been up there race day two years ago, um, which we kind of do on purpose, because it's just so beautiful up there, and there's no snow this year. So I feel like it'll be totally different, and I'm hoping that it's still a little like rocky and rooty and technical, where two years ago I felt like the snow really was a help to me, um, just being comfortable on it and able to move efficiently so I'm hoping that despite no snow, it'll still be a really good section for me, just using my strengths of the technical aspects. Um, but at the same time, <laughs> anticipating the no snow will be a game changer for kind of the front of the race. Um, so I think, I think one of my mantras is, you are okay. You know, like yeah. if I'm in a different position, which I'm kind of anticipating, um, to not panic and to still be comfortable with where I'm at and know that you know, really, you, you got to be able to run fast at the end of the race and manage the heat and all of those things that I know I can do and, and I guess mentally I'm preparing to do. Beautiful. You are okay. I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, another thing that I think is pretty unique in terms of this year's race as it relates to you specifically is that your partner Cody is also running. He earned his golden ticket at Bandera in January this year. And I just find that to be a really unique situation. You know, if I was in the race, I would absolutely want my wife there to sort of like, you know, be there to support me. And you guys are both in the race and both have big aspirations and goals for yourself. How do you guys support each other this race week? And, and sort of what's the dynamic with you both being in the race? Uh, I mean, first of all, like Cody's right back there. So congrats, Cody. Hey, Cody. It's super exciting. <laughs> um, you know, I think... Wait, I kind of joke, like, you took my pacer, you know, <laughs> darn you. Um, you know, but at the same time, I took his pacer. So it's, it's been super awesome. Um, I think we have to be careful of just, like, race week and pent-up energy and nerves and things like that of, like, we're giving each other some space at times when we need it and then building each other up. Um, you know, I'm like, do you feel the niggles? Yeah, okay, that's normal then, <laughs> you know. But... But I think um, just talking to Paul yesterday, like he's super proud to have like Cody there, obviously. And two years ago, I stood next to Paul on the start line when he was there shooting the gun to start the race. And this year it'll be Cody next to Paul and then me next to Cody and then Emily, Paul's other athlete that's running next to me. So just a really special different year where I'm super pumped about the people I have supporting me where I was just telling Paul again, like, get to Forest Hill, which my mantra two years ago was get to Cody, get to Cody. And it's like, I have Cole Watson pacing me there. So I'm like, 
I feel like he's so similar to Cody. So I'm like, maybe I'll still be chanting, like, get to Cody, get to Cody. <laughs> like, pretend, sorry, Cole, but like, pretend Cole is Cody because <laughs> I just feel like that vibe is super similar. Um, so I feel... I'm, I'm really excited. It'll be hard to not have him there, but I have super awesome people in my corner that, I, and then hearing about his journey along the way, I think will just be super energizing anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say, are you gonna get updates on Cody throughout the race and I, vice versa? Yeah, I mean, I had joked, cause I mean, you get into an aid station and everything I had been perseverating on for miles before just goes out the window. So my, <laughs> my first thing will be for my crew is tell me how Cody's doing. Awesome. <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. Well, Brittany, it's so uh, awesome to be able to sit down and chat with you. It's so cool to hear your attitude, being the returning second place finisher, being so inspired by Claire Gallagher, 2019's champion, the sportsmanship that's involved, your own competitive spirit, how you're training. It's all really fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing it with us in our live audience. Please give Brittany Peterson a round of applause. <laughs> Thank you, guys, and thank you so much yeah. for doing this. This is so awesome. We will be back in just a couple of minutes with 2015 champion Magda Boulay. See you in a minute. Okay, welcome back everybody. I put on my Hawaiian shirt, which means I totally mean business now. We are back with 2015 champion, legend of ultra running, legend of running in general, Magdalena Boulay from Oakland, California. Big round of applause. Thank you, thanks Dylan. Fan, fan thanks, favorite, fan favorite. Magda, you're back at Western States. You've had a lot of success here. You've won, you finished second. You've also dropped out of the race. Mm -hmm. So you've experienced everything. You're now a board member. Maybe just start with a general uh, description of what uh, this race means to you and your family and why you're back to compete. Wow. Um, honestly, like this race means so much to me. It's, it's in my backyard. You know, if you can, you know, call it a backyard, but... Um, I grew up, you know, in the Bay Area um, hearing about this race. And for me to, in 2015, to tow the line at Western States as my first 100 miler will always, you know, have a special place in my heart. So um, anything after that is just, you know, icing on a cake. <laughs> So I, I feel like I'm just going to keep asking the pandemic question, and I know you pretty well. I, I live in San Francisco, Magda, and I've, I feel like we're buddies. Yep, and yep. I know for you, things shut down. You live in a small house mm -hmm. with a husband and a high schooler now yep. and a dog. How, <laughs> and a dog. How was, I know, I know when you got the spot in to come into the race in 2020, I know there's a bunch of excitement building, like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go all in for this thing. I'm excited for it. How did that year delay of this race affect your mindset, affect how you're thinking about coming back again now that we're coming kind of like coming back to life in racing? Right. Well, I would say that, um, yeah, we're going a little bit um, back here, but when, um, when I was preparing for the 2020 race, was super stoked and, you know, the, all the races got canceled and I quickly shifted to, uh, I wasn't really disappointed as, you know, that uh, I understood why this was happening was the right thing to do. Um, but I quickly shifted to like, okay, 
what can I do? What fun things can I, you know, can I do in running that maybe I wouldn't have a chance to do? So Everesting was uh, yeah. uh, was something that I that I did around this time uh, last year, and um, that was a suffer fest, and it was fun. <laughs> uh, I did it on a really short um, half a mile. Uh, well, was it even a half a mile? I don't think it was even half a mile long, but pretty close to half a mile length uh, on Mount Tam, beautiful stretch. And that, you know, that just kind of um, put a different spin on what I could do. Um, well, professionally, you know, things got a lot harder at work. Um, and, you know, that really, you know, it, it, it really put a twist on, you know, what the rest of the year was gonna look like. Um, and leading up to this race, it's you know it's been it's been a challenge balancing everything, being in a small 850 square foot house in Oakland, <laughs> um, between the three of us and a dog. Um, at first, it was like yes, we're all together. You know, I can be working my computer, see my family. Well, that got old pretty quickly. <laughs> I like took you know my desk into the bedroom. Like I need privacy. Um, and yeah, we haven't been back to the office yet full time. So it's you know, I it honestly, it's it's been a challenge. It's been it's been a roller coaster leading up to this. <laughs> so, in this vein of challenge and balance, I think one of the things that people really admire about you is just how dynamic you are as a human being. You're a professional runner. You're an Olympian. You uh, work for Goo, you're a mom. How is it that you are able to balance those big responsibilities that you have outside of running and still maintain such big goals and remain such a great athlete? Well, I think I've had good mentors, you know, um, uh, in sport and in life. Um, my coach, when I was training for the Olympics, uh, with whom I've, you know, I was for, um, for about a decade, um, you know, under the same coach, um, uh, Coach Jack Daniels, um, always reminded me that, you know, it's really this journey, <laughs> this athletic journey is really about people. It's the places you're going to see and the people you're going to meet. You know, you will have medals, you will make teams, but at the end of the day, they're going to sit in a drawer somewhere. Um, and he was so right. I didn't really believe it when I was in it, um, but after so many years, uh, you know, that's what I took away, and um, I just, you know, I chose never to compromise that in terms of, you know, relationships and friendships, um, and it's a lot more meaningful at the end of the day. So, so beautiful. Thank you for saying that. That's one of the things that Corinne and I are going to be harping about all week is the people, the people in this sport, the friendships, things like that. It's really well said. Yeah, so I know you, obviously you have experience at this race, and it's, you know, you're back for another year. What, if anything, looks different? Obviously, you're balancing a lot on, on the home front with the work front, with everything being a very different, a different year. What, if anything, has changed in your, in your prep phase coming into Western States as opposed to years past? Right. So this is my uh, fourth time towing the line. And like Dylan said, I, you know, I've had um, some good races. You know, I've had a DNF. Um, and then last time I was here, it was probably the most fun I had because it was uh, uh, me and Cat, me chasing Cat, um, uh, and that was really, really a lot of fun, you know. Um, in the last 20 miles, where I was convinced that I was going to catch her, <laughs> like had that mindset, like there is no way I can't pull this off. Like I was feeling so good. Well, she was feeling as good, if not wow, better. Cool. Uh, and that was really 
uh, a lot of fun. And leading, you know, leading up to this race, what has been different is um, I've stayed local for my training um, pretty much the whole time. Uh, usually leading up to this race, I would make more, more trips up to the mountains, uh, more trips to, you know, to really seek out um, specific training where I did because of, um, you know, because of balancing a lot more and not being as flexible and with COVID, I did a lot of training from literally my door. Um, so it's, this is definitely, you know, something that makes me nervous, but uh, at the same time, it's, you know, you, you, you do what you have to do. So you are a proud owner of a Cougar trophy, but I want to talk more about the year that you were forced to drop out. Mm -hmm. It was the year after you won the race in 2016. I believe you were sick, but I remember I was at Robinson Flat that year, and I think you got a ride to the aid station after you had dropped out. Yeah. And I remember you looking just completely devastated, returning as the defending champion, ultimately having to pull out very early in the very race. Early. How did that bit of adversity mm -hmm. as somebody who's been in running for such a long time and at the highest level for such a long time influence maybe the right. uh, your your progression within the race and within the sport that's such a great question I you know honestly um, that year I was probably in the best shape of my life leading up to you know leading up to any trail race uh, coming off a win in 2015 you know I learned a lot from that race um, I, you know, I really uh, approached my training in a way that, you know, I really wanted to improve on 2015, just um, improve on, you know, how I would show up and perform. Um, and a week before uh, 2016 race, I showed up here to watch uh, Broken Arrow, and I was going to stay here for a week leading up to the race, and then came up with a really bad flu. Um, and I spent, you know, four or five days literally, you know, in bed with fever. Um, but that has happened to me in the past where I got sick leading up to a race. And, you know, um, you kind of tell yourself rest is good. <laughs> you know, you, you, you basically got a little bit extra race during taper, no big deal. Um, but having stomach flu is a little bit different. And also showing up to a shorter race is a little bit different than a 100-mile race. And that's something that I didn't have much experience with, right? So, um, you know, I drew back on some of the, you know, some of the experiences I've had in the past where, you know, I showed up to a cross-country, you know, 8K race after being sick for a week and PR'd because I was so rested. The race was, you know, 20 minute long. You can pull that off. You can pull that off. Um, 100 mile race is different. And that was a big humbling lesson for me because I literally was confident that it's okay to be sick for a week. It's okay to, you know, to, uh, to have a stomach flu and not really eat any calories for a week and still show up and race a hundred mile race. Well, it was a big blow. Um, I barely made it up to escarpment, um, feeling horrible. And yeah, it was pretty much, you know, first aid station where, um, I got pulled off by medical and, it was disheartening, you know, like anyone, you know, taking that wristband off your, <laughs> off your wrist when your heart wants to go, but your body says, I don't think so, it's not today, <laughs> next time. Um, it takes a long time to recover from that, um, just emotionally, right? Physically, I bounced back a week later, you know, I was, timing was off, but um, it definitely, it definitely, you know, just 
put it in perspective for me to respect the distance even more. And I already thought I had <laughs> respect for the distance, but um, and also for your for your own body, you know, mm. it's it was a, definitely a learning learning experience. So right before the pandemic hit, you went out to Black Canyons, mm-hmm. took took a fall, and had to had to pull out of that race. Unfortunately, took a good chunk of skin out of your hand. But you showed up, I think, the next week at a local race with, some, like, with the same fitness mm-hmm. and put it together. I don't think you've raced since then. I have not. You have not. So how, how so that, like, we're talking February of 2020. Yes. How, like, how are you looking at that and how does that make you feel coming into the, the race this weekend? Nervous. <laughs> really nervous. You know, you sometimes want to have that, you know, Rossbuster race, and uh, I haven't really had a chance, you know, to do that. I've had some, you know, adventures that I, you know, designed myself in my backyard leading up to it, but it's definitely different than, you know, than, than having that competitive uh, feeling that you're ready. But I'm really hoping that 100 miles is long enough to warm up. <laughs> I will not be racing up escarpment. Uh, that's a given. But um, I'm nervous. Yeah, I'm nervous because you know that that's you know that's that little chunk of experience that's missing. And you know, a year and a half is a long time. It's a very yeah. long time. It's a long time. But Magda, you've been doing this for a long time yourself, and uh, it should be like riding a bike to you. And I think. Uh, <laughs> You know, as we've sort of mentioned a couple of times, you're so much more than an athlete and people have so much respect for you. And I think that was exhibited this year when you were elected to the Western States board. I think we have to talk about that before we let you go. You were nominated to the board along with Billy Yang and Kara mm-hmm. Teklinski. So maybe just talk a little bit about what kind of an honor that was for you as a person, as an athlete, and maybe what your responsibilities are. Right. Well, first of all, it's it's an incredible honor to contribute to, to this organization. Uh, and I feel like, you know, um, I, the new members, you know, have so much to offer. And, you know, for me, this race um, means so much more than just showing up and racing. I think that there are so many opportunities to contribute for me and everybody else to this race. Um, you know, being on a board is one uh, way to contribute, um, you know, bringing different perspectives, uh, you know, to, to the table. And, um, you know, I have so many goals that are still not fulfilled with this race. Um, you know, one of them is, you know, showing up, you know, at Forest Hill and being a random pacer for someone, uh, you know, pacing other people. So um, I, I'm really excited to, you know, to bring uh, a little bit more visibility, you know, the little thing that I can do to contribute to bring more visibility to this organization and get people excited about the event. You don't have to race it to be involved. And I'm really looking forward to, you know, to putting some time in and, um, and elevating this race because it's, it's incredible, you know, what the organization does and it goes way beyond just, you know, putting on an incredible race. Terrific, Magda. Thank you so much for lending your beautiful <laughs> perspective. Big round of applause. Thank you. 2015 champion, proud owner of a Cougar Trophy, (laughs) board member, Magda, good luck on Saturday. Thank you. I need one of the shirts too. Next up in a few minutes, we will have the president of the board, Diana Fitzpatrick. Stick around. Okay, we are back. 
with the president of the board of the Western States 100, Diana Fitzpatrick from Marin County, California. Before we get to Diana, yes, please, round of applause, round of applause. I also wanna mention, uh, I have just received a bit of intelligence that two-time champion of the race, Timothy Olson, who is on the PCT right now, should be coming up over the top of the ski mountain in the next couple of hours. So if anybody wants to see the Mirage, which is his trail name, head up the mountain after our show here and you may be able to intercept him up there. Again, two-time champion. And I have a great story to tell about my interaction with uh, Tim on the trail this past weekend. Maybe we'll get to that on Saturday uh, during the live stream. But Diana, it's now your turn. Uh, thank you for coming to, to sit with us. Uh, we've had only athletes competing in the race on the show to this point. You are now from the race organization. So uh, a little bit different of a, of a conversation here, but I think just to begin with, maybe just introduce yourself, uh, what you do for the Western States 100, what your history is with the race, both as a, as a runner and as a member of the board. Thanks, and thanks to everyone for being here. And thanks especially to Dylan and Corinne for these podcasts and all you've done um, around the event this year. Uh, I am a five times Western States finisher. I've been on the board since um, 2014. And um, I took over as president in November of 2018. So uh, I was president, we were heading into 2019, excited about getting the race going and starting plans, although it was pretty early. And uh, so really the first major thing I was involved in as president was very sadly the cancellation of the race. Um, but uh, that was handled um, as all things are with the Western States Board. It was really a group effort, Craig, team of, um, directors, you know, involved watching closely as the events were unfolding and really trying to time it with the runners and everything in mind. So that was really my first big thing as president <laughs> of the board. Um, and then since then, this has been a long, hard year. Actually, you'd think maybe a year off would be time off for uh, our race director and the board, but it really wasn't. We got a lot done behind the scenes and it was actually good for that. Um, we had time to do that. Uh, there was also a lot behind the scenes of just waiting and more watching. And, um, you know, if anything, more work, because we had to keep up on this, you know, constantly changing rules of COVID. Um, and that was actually really challenging. Um, and the different jurisdictions and permitting agencies and all those relationships were really key. Um, and Craig did an amazing job of managing that. We leaned on other board members for uh, their relationships. Um, and uh, we're just so happy that we're here. So it was a long journey to get here, but we're thrilled. I think we'd all agree that we are all thrilled to be here, that it's been a long journey, but we are happy that race day is approaching this year. So my question to you, um, you've been, obviously you've been a five-time finisher. What does it mean to you, and the race has been around for a long, long time. What does it mean to you though, to be the first female president of the board for Western States? I think that uh, the whole world of ultra running is evolving and changing. Um, and there, 
there's still not, you know, 50-50 at a lot of races with men and women, but it's certainly moving in that direction. And I think doing something like having a woman in a visible spot um, helps that. And um, just like it helps to have women on the board. And, um, and hopefully we will get those numbers up. Um, a lot of races are focused on that and really looking at opportunities to help move the needle in that direction. Um, and I think we will get there, you know, marathon running, it was the same thing at the beginning. There were, I mean, women weren't even allowed to run and um, it just takes time. So, um, but I think being a woman president will help move things in that direction. So just to get into the weeds of the organization a little bit, I know Western States is a not-for-profit organization. So maybe talk a little bit about the, the structure of the organization and how it might be similar and different from races that are for-profits, just so we can get a better understanding of, of how the whole operation works from the inside. Uh, Western States is a 501c3 nonprofit. Um, and so that means that um, we do have a charitable pur purpose at our core for Western states that is putting on a premier 100 mile race. We have medical research and we have trail work. And um, we take those three things very seriously. Um, we, every year there is a medical research component to the race this year. Emily Krauss is in charge of a bone scan test that's going on. I think it's in its second or third year. Um, and that data is collected and then they do reports and that's relied on really throughout uh, the running community. Um, and, uh, and those reports are also available on our website. But I think they're really relied on mostly by other scientists and doctors and people trying to figure out um, medicine and ultra running and health issues. And then the trail piece um, is also really important and we take that very seriously and we consider ourselves um, in charge of keeping the Western States Trail uh, open and ready and it's not just for our event, we also do it for the Tevis Cup and for the hikers and for the runners and for other users of the course. So when we're doing trail work, you know, we could just clear a section so it was ready for runners to go through, but actually we have to remember, well, no, it also involves people on horses. So there are branches hanging, um, overhanging the trail that we also have to cut or rocks that runners could get around, but horses can't. Um, so that's a really important piece of what we do. And that goes on, I mean, maybe not quite year round, but it goes on a lot of the year. There is trail work going on behind the scenes. Um, and then, of course, our work towards putting on our race, which is uh, first and foremost what we, you know, look to do and try to be a premier ultra event. So I know you are only one piece of this board that works all together, but I think it's really important to point out that Western States as a race and as a, a group of people and a board, I, f I feel, and I think this is a fair statement, that you all are really on the the forefront of being a leader in our sport as far as putting into effect really progressive policies. Those include things like, um, you know, a stance on, on um, drug testing and um, anti-doping policies, as well as trans inclusion policies, which I think are really important as our sport grows and becomes a bigger and bigger, um, you know, venue for people to get to express themselves. And I want to know, um, obviously, as one person, like what, just one portion of the board, you know, what does that mean to, to you and to the board as a whole, maybe, as far as like having that opportunity to set the stage for the rest of the sport to follow suit? 
I think that's a really good way of saying it, that we, it is an opportunity. And I think we look at it that way and we take it very seriously that when we do something, we are a role model and that we are doing something that other races look at uh, closely. So it makes us better because um, we know that everything we do is scrutinized, everything from our drug policy to the transgender policy we did. We did the pregnancy policy. Um, and, um, you know, we, I, I would say in a way we look for those opportunities um, and, uh, and they are important. And we, we are kind of honored that we are in that position to be able to do that. To stay on this subject for a little bit, I know you had a big hand in sort of putting together the anti-doping policy, and I know that's been a big investment for the race. And I wondered if you, with whatever details you're allowed to share, just sort of what kind of investment you guys put into the anti-doping side of uh, the race to ensure the integrity of the competitive result. Um, yeah, that initiative was started in 2017 when John Medinger was the president. And um, we had a committee that worked on it for several months and looked at different models, tried to figure out how to make it work. Uh, it's challenging because there is no umbrella organization to do it. So uh, we, we put together what we felt really worked well for our race and for the sport, kind of, again, as a model of something that could work. Um, and so we devoted that, those, those energy and resources in creating the policy. Um, we have hired, now we're, we use Claridium, which is a um, you know, world-class agency that does the, blood, uh, the uh, testing itself on race day. Um, we have two doping control officers, DCOs, who are at the finish line, and we have seven or eight of our volunteers who work. So we have a team on race day that's devoted to that. Um, and there is, of course, the cost and expense of, um, of doing it. But we feel really good about it. It's actually worked really well. And um, it's been well received. The athletes who we test in general at the finish line, um, it's not fun to have to sit there and wait until you're ready to pee after running 100 miles. Which can sometimes take a long time. <laughs> it yeah. can. I mean, it's challenging. Seems like, especially for the men, no offense, guys, but whatever. Um, Hydrate. And, uh, <laughs> for God's um, sakes. But uh, people are really good sports about it. And I think people just recognize that it's important to do something. We know it's not perfect and we will continue to look at it. But for right now, it's, uh, it's really worked in, you know, well. And we are happy with, with it. Yeah, I think it's really important that you guys are this beacon in the sport. I want to kind of shift gears just for a second to focus on the runner that you are. Um, I know that you're, you last raced in 2018 at Western States and ran, an I think, an astounding time of under the 24-hour mark. Obviously, you are a lifelong runner, which is phenomenal. How, I mean, give us a little piece of advice so that Dylan and I can also run sub-24 hours you know, 30 years from now. Before you answer that, we also have to say that that was the 60 to 69 age group record is owned by Diana Fitzpatrick, the president of the board. Amazing, amazing result. For Please a little answer. while. Please answer the question. Please brag about yourself. Uh, so um, the question was, oh, just how to Give us advice. Here. Yeah, let us, teach us, show us your ways. Um, 
I guess in some ways I feel like there is a certain amount of luck with it. Like I've been pretty injury free for most of my life. I think also I've had a certain amount of balance with the amount of training. And in the winter we tend to do a lot of skiing. So I'll, I'll do skate skiing or another sport uh, for a couple of months and maybe get some hard training in that period through, a, you know, a different sport. Um, and I guess also just staying fresh and always loving it and um, making it fun. Um, and, you know, of course, the obvious things of listening to my body. So if I ever did have anything happen, um, I was on it and I would stop and I'd wait until I felt better and then I would start again. And then as a 60 year old going into the race that year, uh, I really didn't know my prior ultra before 2018 was four years earlier. And I knew there was probably a very big difference between 56 and 60. Um, going in at 56, I was pretty confident. I, if things went well, I would be able to be in the range of where I had been before. Um, but as a 60 year old, I really didn't know. Um, so I approached it differently, just letting it happen and see what happened. Um, and even actually race day, I didn't think I was gonna get under 24 and I was kind of okay with that. And then when it started looking like I might, um, you know, something kicked in and I made, I made it in under, under, the, under that 24 hour mark. And that was a hot year too. That was not dissimilar from what the racers will be experiencing this weekend, which I think is all the more impressive to be under that 24 hour mark and that, yeah. that type of heat. Amazing. So Diana, I want to talk a little bit about this sort of contrast between history and future. Obviously the Western States is the oldest hundred mile trail race. It is the granddaddy of them all. But Western States also, as you said, sort of has a responsibility to be in a leadership position and sort of take the sport into the next generation. And I know that was sort of part of bringing Billy and Kara and Magda onto the board this year. So maybe talk a little bit about how the race is sort of trying to take that leadership position as the sport moves forward. Well, like I said, we always look for opportunities to lead. Um, and uh, we're super excited about our three new board members, uh, Magda, Bill, Magda Boulay, who was just on, Billy Yang, and Kara Teklinski. And um, we feel like they really represent, you know, again, this um, perspective of people who are still running in the sport, people with hands-on tech knowledge of uh, that, uh, is really helpful to have as a board. And um, we will continue to really remain open to the changes in the sport because it's certainly a changing environment. I mean, social media has really changed the landscape of what it is um, and even what it means to be an ultra runner. I think before people used to do it, it was a very individual driven um, endeavor. And I think now there are a lot more opportunities, which is great for people to make their careers out of it. And there's sponsorship opportunities and there's more money and there's, there's a lot that there really wasn't 10 years ago. Um, and it's exciting, um, but you also have to, you know, look at what you, where you're going and be really thoughtful about your approach to all of those changes. So I feel like we're, you know, kind of on the, beginning edges of that and seeing where that takes us. And we want to be super mindful and open um, and see what happens. Well, Diana, thank you so much for your service for this race. Thank you for coming to sit Thanks. with us. Um, it's an honor to, to be able to t chat with you. And I think the race is in great hands with you in the leadership position. 
of the board, and maybe someday soon you'll get to run it again yourself. Uh, big round of applause for Diana Fitzpatrick. Next up, we will break our Hawaiian shirt trifecta and welcome two-time champion Jim Walmsley to the show. Give us a second. Okay, we are back with the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time champion, the course record holder, the person who sort of single-handedly has changed the sport over the last five, six years. Mr. Jim Walmsley, please big round of applause for the champ. Jim, there's so much to talk about. Where do we even start? You're back. Uh, you ran 14.09 in 2019, absolutely ridiculous. It was in favorable conditions. This year is gonna be a little bit more difficult. Um, let's start with just sort of why, why you're back at Western States, what this race means to you and what, what are your goals for the weekend? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back. It's good to see everybody uh, familiar faces and um, feeling the energy and really excited about things. Uh, I think I had planned some time away from the race, and I was supposed to be possibly my second year in South Africa in June, uh, down at Comrades Marathon. I was going to try to take on the, the road ultra scene down there, which is its own little bubble of awesomeness. But uh, unfortunately, that's fallen through the last two years, and I haven't had that opportunity. However, for good and bad, um, they canceled pretty early this year, which kind of gave me enough time to shift focus, and there was basically no question of uh, I was coming back to Western States. So I think something that we're all interested about, and I think, I mean, we all saw your Instagram post, I think, yesterday, and I was really impressed with the level of kind of thoughtfulness and maturity, talking about in your approach to injury, and I would just, I think we'd all love to hear about kind of what this buildup, I think, has looked different than maybe buildups in the past with your approach um, working through some things. Can you just... Um, describe to everyone here and everyone at home what that's looked like and kind of how your thought process has been around it. Yeah, I think I've been throwing out some feelers and probably uh, unlock some of them on Strava soon today. So uh, you'll, you'll see some of the, the runs. And breaking we'll news, out. breaking yeah. news on the show. Watch uh, Jim Walton Strava. I'm excited because I feel good about it. Um, and all things considered, uh, I still got in a lot of training. Um, a lot of time, a lot of vert. Um, however, my usual fire roads, I wasn't running. Um, I didn't really start out as long of a block. I probably had more of a six-week focus block. That was good, but I was coming in uh, fresh and still fit um, into that block. But also, basically, it started with three weeks down more towards 30 miles a week, um, having to back off, had some IT band problems kind of right when I was, everything was good, everything was healthy, I was holding at some steady training volume and sure enough, something just flared up out of the blue and was kind of giving it some time off and then all of a sudden it's like, it's gonna be crunch time soon and made the call that I need to back off now and basically make a plan eight weeks out and we'll go from there. So there was like an intro week to get back into things and then crossed the fingers and went back into it and just had a, a really great team in Flagstaff uh, helping me out, staying healthy or getting healthy, strengthening, um, seeing this uh, good friend, Wes Gregg at Hypo2 Sports there, um, which like most of the pro runners see in Flagstaff and 
Uh, it's been a lot of work though. Um, it's a rewarding block to feel like I'm coming out of it healthy somehow. So Jim, I want to linger on this subject because I think it finally makes you a little bit relatable to the rest of us and that you struggle with some injury, things weren't going perfectly for you, and you've sort of been focusing on the little things. Is that something that maybe you weren't as focused on earlier in your career? Yeah. And maybe talk about how this emphasis on working with your friend Wes and doing the strengthening and PT, what sort of value you've seen in it? Yeah, um, I think it's something that's more likely to be here to stay rather than um, I've been lucky that I've been pretty injury prone and been able to just kind of at times feel like I'm cranking race out after race after race. And it's pretty fun. It's also really exhausting. Um, but it's probably here to stay and it's the things I should be doing that I've been able to get away with kind of neglecting. And um, yeah, as I'm getting into my 30s now, uh, I need to be more cognizant of it. And I think um, the strengthening is probably the best to counteract in my experience so far to counteract some of the overuse injuries. That's, I think that's a really interesting shift in perspective from an outsider looking in on your career. It kind of seemed like a, maybe a, not going to be here for a long time, but going to be here for a really good time yeah. type of approach. And to hear you now talk about doing the little things, kind of trying to, to maybe be around Taking, taking course records, taking wins for a lot longer. How has that kind of been a frame shift for you? Well, yeah, I think it started in Western States 2016, coming here to try to just run to my maximum ability um, and leave it out there and no regrets with that. However, I think career-wise, it's evolved into finding a little spot in the sport that gives me this opportunity to do this for my, my job and my life and livelihood. So that's really awesome, really amazing. And I'm in a happy place with it. So it's something I've realized that's important to me to make sure I can continue as part of my lifestyle. And that means doing the little things and stuff. Looks like we're moving in some <laughs> extra furniture. Bad timing, but Jim, thanks for sharing that. And I think just while we're sort of having a retrospective on your history here at the race, of course, you came in as a young, ambitious, risk-taking athlete back in 2016, I think was your first one. This is your fifth running. The first two didn't go well. The second two were absolutely phenomenal. How are you thinking about just like your position in the race this year? What are your goals? I mean, what's left to achieve, especially because it seems like the course record would be really difficult yeah. to better this year. Is it all about being competitive and winning or are there other things you'd like to achieve? Um, I think most importantly, it's to have a good experience here. Um, I'm looking, especially considering the training block, uh, if I can get out of here, with a positive feeling that I ran to my potential for it. Um, that's always a really big win. I think chasing the course records got me into trouble to begin with in 2016 and 17, and it's kind of not until I backed off and said, this has gotten me into trouble, I need to just take what I can, and we're gonna go out and have a good day. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> long we're sorry, thing. everybody, this is quite obnoxious. They'll be done soon. So, but um, yeah, just kind of taking what I can from the course and making the most of the day that I'm given. Uh, 
it's probably not going to be under 1409. I, I, I think I'm pretty happy with that because I got a really favorable year to have a good day. And I feel like it's going to take favorable weather to get that time. So if it's not going to be a really good year, then it's probably not in play, which is kind of cool. And it's just like, it's still Western States. You go out, you try to win, you try to compete for a top 10, you try to place as high as possible. And that in itself is an amazing achievement and reward and finishing in Auburn on the track is extremely special. And there's so much more to the event that is so special. So while we're sort of on this subject, I, one of the themes of our conversations with other athletes has been respecting the distance. And I remember in 2016, you were already talking about the course record, and I think you were humbled a couple of times at the race. So maybe talk about how your psychology is different as you approach the race with a little bit more respect as a more mature athlete in your 30s now. Yeah, the 100 mile distance has definitely bit me a couple times. Uh, not just here at Western States, I've uh, gotten my butt kicked several times across the world at this distance. So anything can happen. Every time you can have a good day at this distance, uh, you need to be really thankful and fortunate. And, but at the same time, I think the mentality of challenging the status quo, challenging what is possible, is what gets you big breakthroughs. And that mentality needs a bit of a balance to really perform well at the top consistently. And that, so a little bit of me holds on to the challenging the status quo with wanting to try to do more, but I guess I've, I've eaten a slice of humble pie enough times where maybe you don't go in guns blazing immediately and let the race come to you a little bit more. And if, it, if it's not a course record, that's totally fine too. Um, there's amazing athletes in the field. There's great stories all around and having, making the most out of your own experience in your own day is gonna, you're, you're gonna find good results that way. So shifting gears a little bit, something I'm super curious about is that you obviously have this hunger for, I mean, we watched you put on a show at Carbon X. Um, you know, we were all, all, I think, hoping to see you at Comrade, see what that would look like. But I also know that you seem to have a hunger for races that are in the Hard Rock, UTMB variety. How do you see yourself balancing those two kind of juxtaposition style, styles of running, moving like further into your career? Um, I would like to shift more focus towards the UTMB hard rock style races further down my career. However, I feel like I still have enough pop turnover in the legs where I need to get the comrades race done. Um, I need to go after my best 100K experiences because I feel like the leg speed and kind of the youth you need for it. Um, but then again, there's comrades winners in their mid to late 30s um, that are running amazing. Um, I, I don't know. It, I don't know what I don't know about comrades yet, so <laughs> it's it's hard to speak on completely, but uh, so, some of the road fast ultras that I'd like to accomplish sooner rather than later because I feel like I can get the most out of myself now in that regards, whereas the mountain ultras, I feel like I can continue to develop and the mental aspect of those continues to play a huge factor. and you can be a better runner uh, later in your career in those a lot of the times. Yeah, really well said. And I think one of the things that's unique about you is that you realistically would have the opportunity to win a race like Comrades and win a race like UTMB and Hard Rock. That type of range and that type of talent is not something that comes about 
very often in our sport, and you've really changed the game in a lot of ways. You mentioned wanting to change the status quo, and I think one of your philosophies is to run without limits. So maybe talk about that ethos and maybe what you're trying to convey to your fans and to the sport in general. Yeah, I guess uh, run without limits, but I also say ignorance is really powerful. So again, you don't know what you don't know until you just go out there and try and experience. But at the same time, I think people accomplish amazing things with, uh, without knowing what they're getting into and just not putting barriers or limits on saying, well, you, you shouldn't go out that fast. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. And it's like, well, maybe you can. And you know what? It just takes someone being almost ignorant to saying what you should do to all of a sudden prove everyone wrong. So I, we might find out later, you know, as Strava maybe reemerges here, but it sounds like you've been running a little bit closer to home. Training's been a little bit different, a much shorter block. Were you able to get into the canyons like you normally do going into, get into the canyon um, like you normally do going into this race? And if not, or as, if not as much, how do you think that will transpire in a very hot year this year at yeah. Western States? Uh, no, I didn't get into the canyons much. Um, starting a run with the downhill was problematic for me. So I got in the Grand Canyon just twice um, in the last eight weeks, which usually I'm down there almost twice a week. So that's a lot different. The longer downhills are a little less um, tested. But on the other hand, my vertical climbing and descending per week is higher than it's been most training blocks. So I feel like I've gotten the strength through that. Um, the heat, it seems pretty, it'll be in the ballpark of 2018, um, which wasn't too long ago. And I, that was a good experience, but also taking what you can on the race day and not forcing it is gonna be really important. Um, I'm from Phoenix. It, it really helps me just embrace it and lean into it and it's just really funny in retrospect. I like going out to college in Colorado for the first time, 18, 19 years old, and just realizing this is why runners run in the middle of the day is because it's really nice out. It's not that hot. I mean, and then you're talking in the mid 90s at 7,000 feet, which now I think is very hot. But coming from just growing up in Phoenix, not knowing any different, thinking that everyone had summers like we did, and <laughs> just not having the perspective uh, to go like, no, Phoenix summers are crazy. Um, but I've, I've also gotten in some family time going to visit my sister just last week when Phoenix was in a little bit of a um, heat wave that people might have experienced. Well, everybody in the West really experienced a heat wave, to be honest. But uh, usually when that happens, Phoenix is still kind of the hottest. And uh, yeah, I lean into that and embrace it and just try to kick my feet up outdoors and enjoy the the weather, the sunshine. <laughs> you, you were built for this race growing up in, in Phoenix, living in Flagstaff, where five of the last six men's champions have come from. I know you're a student of the sport as well. There's a great history at Western States of repeat champions on the men's side. You, Tim Olson, Rob Krar, Hal Kerner, I think maybe a couple of others. There's a very small group of people who have accomplished the three-peat. Yeah. I think it's Tim Tweetmeyer and Scott Jurek on the men's side. One of the, I think Jim, well, the three-peat. Three-peat. Three yeah, so. right. I think Jim King had three over four years, yeah. but only two have, have done the actual three-peat. What yeah. would it mean to you to join that fraternity of Scott Jurek and Tim Tweetmeyer, two absolute legends of the game? Yeah. 
Um, it's really hard to jump to imagining myself in those shoes. Uh, so much has to go right between now and getting to the Auburn track. I've had my fair share of struggles trying to get to that track. So um, yeah, it's, it's almost a little too soon to try to imagine. Okay, well, let's just pick up where we left off. Craig, we're really sorry. We're, we're new to this, you know? We're putting First a lot year. of effort into this. Maybe let's, let's talk about this, right? We're yeah. putting a lot of effort into the, the new sort of race coverage, the digital experience of the fan, the live experience of the fan here in Olympic Valley. Uh, talk about how this idea came uh, and what Im importance it has for the race itself. Yeah, well, Hoka came on as our new presenting sponsor, and they wanted to see... Uh, more live coverage, so they they put in um, some some money and and spearheaded this in terms of cash, and then bringing Billy Yang onto the board. Um, as you know, he headed the committee, and um, the the ideas changed on what this was going to look like. Uh, each time Billy saw another Aravipa event, <laughs> he said, "Oh, Black Canyon." Like, oh, the chat, it doesn't have to be really good uh, a video. It can be low quality. It's just this gathering place. And we were gonna do uh, three different places and start and stop the live. And then Coca-Dona happened and Billy's like, no, we're gonna just gonna go straight through. We're gonna have one place where the community can come together and chat, talk about the race. Um, and yeah, it's gonna, be, it's gonna be awesome for people all over the world uh, to, to get a glimpse of, of some of the places that we've never seen live and to hear you two chat and geek out over Western states. Uh, the chemistry that you guys have is, is really special and it's gonna be awesome. So kind of building off that idea of, this is a big change for Western states to have this type of live coverage. Obviously we've had, you know, we've all been refreshing our Twitter feeds, you know, deep into the night hours to, through I Run Far's Twitter feed to try to figure out what's happening. So this is a huge kind of step into, you know, almost a modern era of ultra running. And how do you see, I mean, Western states is obviously at the forefront of that in a lot of ways. How do you see this continuing to advance in Western states, you know, evolving over the next decade even? Well, we've always used the excuse that we don't have good coverage. We could, we could say, oh, UTMB has cell coverage all the way around the mountain in all three countries. And Western states, we're in the canyons. We have to use ham radio, uh, whether it's digital or, or voice. And we've always used that as an excuse, right? So it was easy, like, oh, we don't need to do this. But we are finding ways. Uh, we have, hopefully this will happen, but the river crossing is one of our ham radio operators uses some kind of microwave uh, connection. And there's Joe Steinmetz, our ham radio lead right there. Um, it's like, yeah, we can get you internet down at the river. Right? So I think we just needed the push and, and not, not just continue to use the excuse that we don't have coverage. Um, and hopefully it's just gonna get better. And some other places like the river crossing will be able to use this microwave technology and, and and who knows, maybe, maybe we'll have connectivity throughout the course um, soon, so. Well, yeah, thanks for the initiative on that. Thanks to Hoka who has uh, yeah, really helped to, to support and bring this all to life. And Craig, you've obviously been around the race a long time, well before you were the race director. You've run the race a number of times yourself. Of course, we're heading into what's gonna be 
uh, a hot year, one of the hotter years in recent memory. Is there a historical analog as somebody who's been around in the race for a long time and knows all the history? Uh, what are the conditions like out on the course? And is there a, is there a year that this mirrors? Well, we used to have in our history that it was 117 or 114 at the bottom of the canyons. You know, if you put a thermometer on the <laughs> ground in the sun, it's going to it's going to yield a pretty high temperature. So it was TJ Tropical John who said, "Let's just standardize standardize where we get the high temperatures from the city of Auburn, the airport, the city of Auburn, and the hottest it's ever been is 104 in 1995." And it seems like once a decade, we get 100 degree or higher. I think there was, in the 90s, we had two years over 100. So we're right on track to get another one. I think 2013 was the last over 100, and 2018 was 98. The forecast is bouncing around between 99 and 101. So it's somewhere around a 2013 or a 2018. Not crazy. Some of the forecasts early were 107 and 108. That would have been that would have been crazy, but I will give a very detailed forecast tomorrow for all the places along the course and the times that runners will go there or go through there. Um, so it's it's not going to be outrageously hot. It's not going to be in 1995. At least it doesn't look like it. But it's going to be one of the you know seventh or eighth hottest years in 48 48 yeah. years. So as a race organization, obviously you got you. I mean, I think we all watched a, you know a devastating event take place in China this um, just, you know, not that long ago with, with weather, right? With a weather-related event that unfortunately cost the lives of lots and lots of runners. Obviously, there's a lot of responsibility with a race organization. You guys have a, a wonderful medical director. You guys always have a wonderful medical director. So what, as a race organization, obviously runners are responsible for themselves out there, but what, are, what, are, what do you guys have set up for runners to kind of get them hopefully safely from Olympic Valley on Saturday all the way to the Auburn track? It is definitely a tragic event, and it's, it's pretty hard to imagine 21 people dying in one event. You know, maybe one or two people, okay, yeah, you could see that, but 21 people, just, it's, it's hard to fathom how that could happen. Um, Western states evolved from Tevis, the horse ride, and a lot of the, a lot of the protocols that were implemented in Western states came from Tevis. Like we had the weighing of, of the runners and used some kind of uh, objective criteria, three, five, and 7% weight loss. Um, so there was a lot of that stuff already built in really to protect the runners from, from, from its core, right? We have, we have medical, we have 10 medical stations uh, where we don't use the scales anymore, but, but we have very knowledgeable medical folks there helping runners, um, you know, evaluate whether they should continue or not. We don't pull runners like we used to. You know, horses can't tell you, hey, I, I feel like crap, you know, my kidneys hurt. They can't tell, they can't talk. Runners can't, they're human beings. They can talk where they can tell you what's going on. So it's, a, it's, it's been a shift to don't, you know, don't have medical folks out there who have the power to pull you, and then that causes runners to, to lie or do stupid things like put rocks in their pockets, right? Hopefully the, the medical folks are now allies of the runners and they're not someone to fear. They, they will help you solve the problem. Um, we, for heat, which is normal for us, even if it's a normal 90 degree day, it's hot, uh, we have ice all over the course. 
I just tweeted that we have 32,000 pounds of ice ordered for the race. We have them staged in four different trailers. That works out to five pounds of ice per runner per aid station. So we encourage you to use your buff, uh, yes. <laughs> your buff neck gaiter um, and put it in your hat, put it, put it in your bras, um, use the ice and the creeks and the rivers. There's, you know, when you go to the bottom of the canyons, there's a reason they're canyons, because there's water. So get in the water, it, 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 every place you can, stay wet. I was gonna ask you some of those obscure stats like ice, so thanks for preempting that question. But you know, the, the heat is one challenge, sort of the remoteness of the course and the lack of cell phone service is another challenge. And you guys mitigate that stuff by doing the ice, but you also have an army of volunteers. So maybe provide some stats uh, and if you want, kind of shout out a few people who make this race possible, especially with the point-to-point -point course. It makes it a little bit more challenging, I know. Yeah, our, our ham radio team, headed by Joe again. I'm going to give Joe another shout out. Um, that is vitally important for the safety of the runners and, and the execution of the race in terms of, you know, if, if an aid station runs out of something or they need a, a vehicle to, to take a, a runner out. Um, we have an extensive ham radio network. It's both um, digital packet radio, so you basically send like a light email with a, with a CSV attachment over the ham radios, and the voice network we have everywhere. Um, without that, we would, we would really be flying blind. And the aid station captains, there's 20 aid stations now, and um, I want to... I want to thank them and shout out, give a shout out to them for their patience this year. We couldn't tell them what their aid stations were going to look like. And I kept saying, I don't want to make decisions too early. If we make, if we uh, come up with COVID mitigation protocols right now, they're probably going to be wrong and they're going to look stupid. And they would have. So we basically threw out all the mitigation plans that we had started working on in December. And it wasn't until just three, three weeks ago that we finally had our last Zoom meeting with, uh, with the captains. So, and they, they were patient, you know. So how many volunteers total? You said five pounds of ice per runner per aid station. How many volunteers per runner out on the course? Um, it's four, probably five, closer to five now. So 1,500. Uh, we're down to 320 runners, or 318, I think, right now. Um, so yeah, it's probably closer to, to five. It's getting closer to five volunteers per runner. Okay. Five vaccinated volunteers <laughs> per runner. Yes, okay runners, you not only have your crew out there, but you have an additional five volunteers for each of you. So take advantage. How good does it feel to be sitting in a position now after a canceled year, after making a decision to go forward this year to have run a successful training camp? How good does it feel to be back in Olympic Valley knowing that the race is gonna go off on Saturday? It is so incredible. The first race that I got to volunteer at was the Canyons. I think you were out there. Um, it was so awesome to be out there together. It, it, whatever capacity you were in, whether you were running or volunteering, it just felt so good. And, you know, this is the first really big race on the world scene. Um, I definitely feel, as Diana said, I feel that the, the eyes of the world are watching us. Um, we, we felt for a long time that we could put on a safe event. We've been advised by our, our medical folks, led by Andy Pasternak, uh, you know, making the decision to require all our volunteers to be vaccinated was, was a huge step. We, we lost some, some people who didn't want to get vaccinated, but 
um, overall, it, it, it just made this event completely untouchable from our permitting agencies, right? Like, how do you argue with that? We did a, a survey at our training run with the runners. We asked if we asked some uh, symptom, COVID symptom, like everybody takes right now. And one of the questions was, are you vaccinated or have you had a prior COVID infection documented with a PCR test? 91% said yes. So 100% volunteers and 91% runners vaccinated. That's not, all, that's not very many bodies to, for, for the virus to transfer through or, or get spread. Um, and that, that is, that along with all the knowledge we know about the, the low risk of transmission out, outdoors, um, and that it's not by touch, it's, it's, it's by inhaling particles that have the, the virus. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're really, really happy that we didn't cancel and that everybody is here and we get to, we get to do the things we love. So maybe last question for you, Craig, before we let you go. We know you got a lot of things to accomplish this week. You are also, I believe, a nine-time finisher of the race. When are you going to go for number 10? Wow. Um, so I ran it once as race director in 2017. Before that, I, was, I, I, I had eight finishes. Um, and 2017 was really hard. I, I didn't think it would be that hard, but it was really hard. It was it was leading up to the race where I got really fatigued. It was a hard yeah. year. Yeah, it was a mud and snow year. Uh, it was the slowest year in recent memory for the winners. So, that but it was um, it was hard, and I don't think I'm going to do it again as race director. Uh, so the tenth will have to wait until I retire, and I'm not ready to retire yet. <laughs> Um, I've, I've said it many times when I get to the point where I don't want to innovate or I just want to do it the same way we did it last year, just because it's easy, then it's time for me to step down and let somebody younger or newer come, come in or with fresher ideas. Um, and I don't see that happening yet. So, um, I don't know when it's going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Craig, the race is in great hands under your leadership. Thank you for your service. Thank you for the opportunity to contribute to the race from, on behalf of Corinne and myself. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to it. Wish you nothing but the best. Hope everything goes off without a hitch in the next couple of days and uh, hope you get a little rest as well. So big round of applause Thank for the you. race director. Thank you too. We are now done for the day after Craig Thornley. We will be back tomorrow, 9 to 11 a.m., same spot. We've got another great group of guests. Again, finally, just want to shout out and thank our sponsors, Hoka and Buff, for uh, breaking out all the stops to help us uh, bring the story of the Western States 100 to the world. Thank you to the coffee bar, folks. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us as well. Great food, great coffee. Uh, and thank you guys for all coming out and uh, listening. It was a lot of fun. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Thank you for all the support along the way. We're having a ton of fun doing all this coverage and we really appreciate all the positive feedback we've been getting. So please do continue to share what you enjoy from these podcasts and live interview shows. We will see you again from 9 to 11 a.m. tomorrow and then we'll put the audio from those interviews right here in the podcast feed. We'll talk to you soon. Love you. Bye.